0: listening.
1: resurrection is simply not possible without some understanding of the weakness of God. Hey, this is, uh, this is the House of Mercy, uh, Sunday service, and I'm glad that you found your way to it. It's the third week of Lent. Lent meaning 40th, 40 days in preparation of resurrection, spring. And, uh, New life. We are uh, very happy to have a guest preacher this week, the Reverend Winnie Vargas. She's a priest at Trinity Church Wall Street, and before that, uh, Reverend Vargas was the rector of St. Mark's in the Bowery, a historical Episcopal congregation in New York City. She's an excellent uh, preacher and a writer. She's the author of Church Meets World. So thank you so much, uh, Reverend Vargas, Winnie, for sharing with us today. And uh, also we're lucky to have uh, James Allison, Father James Allison, reading the scripture for us. Please... Mark on your calendar, Easter Sunday, outside, in person, Festival of the Resurrection at House of Mercy. We're looking forward to celebrating that with you. We have great music, like always, and uh, readings, reflections, and uh, yeah, all being together. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Please join me now in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, give us a notion of a desire for pause, a peace, a quiet. Slow down our thoughts that we may be present between them. In the spaces, take from us our anxieties and apprehensions that we might exhale and breathe in again air fresh, new, like a world waking up where our place in it is only to be, to see, to notice what is becoming. Amen. And may the peace of Christ be with you all and also with you. Please share a sign of peace with those around you and a thought of peace with those around You have not seen.
0: Please join with us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 34, No Depression. Fear the hearts of men are failing These are latter days we know For dread depression now is spreading God's word declares it would be so I'm going where there's no depression To a lovely land that's free from care world of toil and trouble my home's in heaven and I'm going there look up rejoice ye holy people before this awful time he'll fly for Christ will come as he has promised his bride will meet him in the sky I'm going there Free from care, I'll leave this world of toil and trouble.
1: You please join me now in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with Lord in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy. as the days warm and the isolating impulses begin to thaw, something like hope seems possible. As the percentages of the vaccinated grow, something like freedom begins to break loose. As we move through lent with a resurrection on the horizon, may we feel the permission to yearn. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, with the beginning of the trial this week, we pray for peace and wisdom and justice. Give strength and hope to George Floyd's family and all of us who continue to mourn his death and the death's of all those who've been killed by law enforcement. We pray that this trial might continue to break down systemic racism, which wounds our country, our cities, our neighborhoods. Move us to confess, move us towards redemption. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those who are in need of spiritual, physical, or emotional healing. We pray for those who have recently been diagnosed with an illness. Give them the strength and knowledge that they need. Bring them the people that they need. We pray for John Carney, for Mike. We pray for all those who mourn the death of a loved one. Hold the family of David Olson, especially close we pray for those in prison and those who are prisoners of addiction we pray for those who are experiencing devastating loneliness we pray for those of us who suffer from mental illness God of mercy wrap us all in your healing love and remind us that you are with us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, as we move through these 40 days of Lent, teach us something new about confession and repentance, that we find in it not only a deeper understanding of your mercy, but the ways in which it can bring us closer to those we love, how it can reestablish intimacy how it can ground us and release us from rivalries with the world and move us towards a fullness of the presence of your Spirit. We have not always loved you with all that we are and we have hurt those in our lives those who move past through our lives with the things that we have done and the things that we have failed to do. We confess and are confident that you judge us with your grace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence.
2: Reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. and the word that Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. This is the gospel of the Lord.
3: For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Hello. It is a real pleasure for me to record this message for you into the voice memo on my phone. My name is Winnie, and I'm an Episcopal priest in New York City and really glad to be with you and very grateful for this invitation. So, I first came to New York from Los Angeles. In 1996 as a young adult thinking about going to seminary. I wanted to be a priest as well, or I felt called to be one, but I wasn't sure if that would work out. But I knew that I could go to school. You could just take on a bunch of debt and go, is what I understood. So I was looking at schools and ended up walking by Union Theological Seminary in New York City because it was on the way to the subway stop, the station, that I needed to go to to get on the train to go to the seminary that I was actually in the city to visit, the Episcopal one. And I was walking with two friends, both of Indian origin, one Muslim, one Hindu. We were all queer young women, the children of immigrants, sort of immigrants ourselves. We walked past Union Theological Seminary, and it said so on big flags outside. And I stopped. I couldn't believe it was the Union. I had heard about it my whole life. I studied religion as a young adult. Um, so many of us of those books that I had read as an undergraduate were written by people that had gone to school there or taught there here at Union, and I had known faculty and professors um, who had been meaningful to the bishops and priests that my parents knew who had gone to Union from India. So I grew up in Dallas. I have no expectation of being where things happen, where people write or make culture. We just get to enjoy it in Dallas. So I decided to go in. I don't know how, it's not the kind of thing I would normally do, but I sort of couldn't resist. My friend stayed at the door. The place was kind of scary, like a stone fort with some religious things on the outside in the middle of this very busy city. Hugo, whose name I learned later, Hugo was the guy at the security booth inside the door. I had never seen anything like that. This was my first day in New York City. And he said, we're closed. Normally, I would have said thank you, felt really sheepish, humiliated, and left. But I asked if I could look through the glass that I could see just ahead of me, and look at the courtyard. And he nodded yes, so I walked by him. I know now that what a great and generous thing it was to let somebody walk by a security booth with no ID, but I didn't know back then. So I looked, and I remember the feeling. It felt like things were crashing down in my mind, the people who had been made by that place, the words of power and of liberation that I had read, Hayward, Harrison, Bonhoeffer, Tribble, Cone, Douglas, Tillich, West, Niebuhr, Williams, the scaffolding of my theological imagination, of my salvation. It had all happened here. Hugo, who probably needed to go home, very kindly came out from behind his big desk. He was surprisingly very short, and he reached out his hand. He said, Come back tomorrow. The admissions office opens at nine. I looked down at the hand that he was using to get my attention and it had that tattoo on the wrist that I had only ever read about in Dallas and Atlanta and Los Angeles. He was a survivor of the Nazi extermination camps, and he had read me exactly right. I nodded at him, speechless, walked out to my friends, told them nothing, got on the subway, went to visit the other seminary, where, of course, everything was perfect, everyone was polite, I was greeted at the door with a welcome, not a we're closed, But I knew I was going to go back to Union at 9 a.m. the next morning, and I did. And I knew it didn't fit the plan and probably wouldn't work out, but I couldn't stay away. I overheard someone say recently, When flesh renews itself, it is the scar that remains. It was the kind of factual sentence in a podcast like this one that strikes you sometimes. I repeated it to myself to remember to write it down later, so it's probably not exactly right, but it was something like, When flesh renews itself, It is the scar that remains. Our salvation, our liberation, is worked out in that scar place. It isn't necessary anywhere else. Jesus reveals it in his own body's scars. It is a foolishness, isn't it? Who would choose a wound? Or maybe more effectively, who would allow anyone they love to be harmed? Who would not protect or prevent harm to others if they could? Of course in the great systems that we live in lots of harm is caused all the time but really personally right and it seems to be that our tradition tells us that harm will come those systems are the ways of the world we will be harmed by them people will be harmed by them we will be scarred do not be ashamed of those scars our tradition tells us those will be your guides to your own salvation that is where we need salvation something greater than healing salvation, the work of the universe to take you in as you are, as Mary Oliver says, your place in the family of things. Looking back, that was what drew me to union. And maybe you to this community, most of us to our religious communities, all of those people speaking from their scars. Those books about liberation theology told stories like one I was trying to tell, or make, of myself, but couldn't find words for. I didn't know we got to say those words, or how we, how, if we did, that they fit together. How do you make a narrative of this life? Here were people saying who they were in the eyes of their creator, imagining together a world better, more whole, more right, than the world in which they had made their lives, bringing the great traditions of biblical scholarship and theology and history to bear on their scars, as if their lives mattered, assuming they did, and literally marking the path of liberation for so many of us in their seeking. I was told in the invitation today that if I just wanted to talk about Pauli Murray, I could do that. I always want to talk about Pauli Murray, um, but I also wanted to say a little bit about the reading, so I'm going to talk about Pauli Murray. What I know about my life is that when I have the choice between foolishness and honor, foolishness is always the right choice. Now, I don't always get that choice, and I don't always get it right, but when I do... When I am in a place where Hugo might be in a place to offer a hand, that is always the right place. Polly Murray was the first black woman ordained a priest in the Episcopal Church. Our church did not ordain women until 1976, to our shame. She was ordained in 1977, as early as possible, practically. She attended that other seminary that I visited that day, and if I had known that at the time, I probably would have made a different choice. Polly Murray was 66 when she was ordained. It was her true vocation, her biographers say. Polly Murray was a black woman who grew up in North Carolina. She left extensive diaries, was well published. You can find a lot to read about Polly Murray if you haven't already. Polly Murray struggled with her gender, having herself hospitalized at times in her life. It is not clear to me what pronouns to use or how to go back in time and figure that out, but it is clear that it was a place of extraordinary pain, pain inflicted by the world, I would say but pain, and that's how she writes about it. She was also a founder of the National Organization for Women, which is why I'm using her, but know that that is contested. Like many Episcopal priests, I feel the name Polly Murray has followed me in my life in the church. When I was being made rector of St. Mark's in the Bowery on the Lower East Side in Manhattan, a church warden brought me a little red file folder that said Polly Murray across the top. I couldn't believe it, it was a file of Polly Murray's correspondence with the rector and some articles and the funeral program of Murray's longtime companion. She had been a member of St. Mark's. I literally kept a photo of Polly Murray on my desktop from back before that was a name for your computer screen and then I put a digital image up on the corner of my computer screen. I couldn't have told you why when I started Our church is small, so in the ensuing 20 years, I've met lots of people that knew her. She was difficult, is the takeaway. She was a brilliant legal thinker. She concretely changed the world in her time. But more than anything for me, I'm not a lawyer. It was her actual living, as though she had been created on purpose, even in the places that she struggled with who she was. The wounds that the world imposed were wrong, and to be settled by better law the internal torment that the world imposed about gender, were wrong. She could imagine a better way. A true plumb line, in which every move had to do with the most personal details of her own life. There must be others like her, but she also kept journals and was a prolific published writer, so we get a glimpse of the courageous person and the struggles behind the public face. You and I are also working out our salvation. For me, not as publicly or articulately or with such far-reaching consequences as Polly Murray. And I don't know all of you, so maybe you are. But for those of you like me that wonder which parts are for the world and which are my own mess, the readings today invite us to be saved. Turn a table, if only for your imagination, on the ways of the world that humiliate people. Jesus is raging with you, the readings say. And notice in your own life, where you are scarred, Because the Bible always meets us on both of those levels. They're both really, really important, and they come together. Polly Murray demonstrates that for us. Bring it all to the cross. And here we see ourselves for the great working out, which is our salvation. You and me and everybody fussing over those scars. There to tell us this, that God made this flesh. This God made flesh is vulnerable. We have been hurt. And yet we can go on and we must tell about it so that those that come after us can imagine a world even more free. May it be so.
0: This is the
1: Lord's table and all are welcome. On the night before he suffered, our Lord took bread, gave thanks and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you, take and eat. And in the same manner, after the meal, he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of all sin. As often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me. Amen.
4: Won't you please join us in singing hymn number 33 out of your House of Mercy hymnal, If I could hear my mother pray again. Sweet.
1: humility which comes from the knowledge of your mercy.
3: Amen.